Hello? Is this thing on? Oh, it is. Look at that. They thought they could lock me out. Well, Tommy, how's this for revenge? This is DJ Void signing back on, baby. Welcome to Station 13, broadcasting from any frequency we can get our hands on. Hello everyone, DJ Void here. Now I know the weather has been hit or miss lately. Winter seemed to last forever and then in the blink of an eye, summer snuck up on us like a shark in the water. Of course, some of you are listening from very different locations and while I envy some of you, Others, I very much do not. You see, the things that haunt our nightmares are different in every state. A snowstorm to you may be a terrifying concept, while a heat wave in the hundreds is my worst nightmare. Speaking of nightmares, I had another of my reoccurring ones recently, which led me to check my air vents for cameras. And wouldn't you know, I found a little note stashed away addressed to new residents. I haven't read it yet and figured it may be nice to share with you all. Let's see what this mysterious writer has to say, shall we? If you are reading this, I'm glad it found you. The unit you currently reside in was my home for ten months, and I have to warn you. They will clean the unit from ceiling to carpet, but can't clean away whatever resides here. I've tried smudging in a priest, but it always ends the same way. I doubt they informed you about any of this, nor the fact I most likely died in this very apartment. I have about two more weeks left here, and no doubt this note will cause the residents to stir in agitation. At first, I assumed the unit was just old. The faucets randomly leaking and the TV turning on by itself was easily explained away by power surges. But then the nightmares started. I was constantly waking up in a cold sweat from dreams of a large black being chasing me. It had gangly arms and red eyes, its back crawling with a red spiral and its horns jutting in unnatural directions. After the fifth dream, my eyes snapped open and I couldn't move. My heart was pounding in my chest and as I scanned my bedroom, there it was. Its frame standing in the doorway and its eyes burrowing into mine. It took approximately 15 minutes for the vision to dissipate, but not before it reached out and touched me. I hid under my covers until I could see the sun creeping through my blinds before I finally got up and went to check my cheek in the bathroom. It had left a long red mark, parts of it bubbling up with blood. Around that time is when I started researching what it could be, or how I could be rid of it. But with every scouring search, the nightmares got worse and things in the waking world started feeling off. I'd come home from work to words hastily written on my mirror words in a language I did not understand and couldn't decipher. The marks on my body started doubling nightly, and by the end of a month, my coworkers were asking if I had gotten a new pet. When the marks started turning into cuts, I bought some sage. I researched how to smudge a home and did so, hoping it would have some benefit. I had made a mistake. The creature would now appear in the corner of my vision, and its hands would reach for my back, barely brushing it, but leaving a trail of blood in their wake. This is when I resorted to begging, which was met by a low snicker in the back of my brain. 
The priest that came after did his best, but the same night I woke to the hot breath of the creature on my face. I held my eyes shut and prayed softly to myself and to whichever god would listen, until the feeling vanished without a trace. The creature would now brazenly sit outside my sudden glass door and stare at me as I moved about the unit. Scratching at the glass and drooling, its eyes never leaving me until I was out of its line of sight. I was stupid enough to have a friend over one night, and while the creature never made an appearance, she woke up from the same nightmare and scratches I had been dealing with for the last several months. I was hoping having another body in the home would deter whatever was torturing me, but instead it led to my friends begging me to leave and apologizing for never believing me. I turned in my 30-day notice of vacancy the next day and even paid the exorbitant contract release fee. This is when the creature ramped up even further. I would now be waking up to pounding on my sliding glass door at 3am and writing on the walls and windows in the same nonsense language. I'd find new cuts on my body every morning, each one deeper than the last. Symbols written on my walls and what I hope was blood? and corpses of small animals in the vents ripped to shreds. I have two weeks left here, and I don't know if I will make it out. Every time I pack a box in preparation, it is unpacked the next day. Most of the items in their original spots, but broken beyond recognition. I know this note may be too late, but if you start seeing this thing in your nightmares, leave. I believe you once you start seeing it outside of dreams, it is too late to turn back. You've become its plaything. Well, I guess I haven't had any of those nightmares yet, at least. Time to make sure my curtains are drawn and my doors are locked. Let's cut to commercial for a minute. I hope everyone is enjoying their time spent with Station 13, but now it is time to give way to those that make this possible. Today we are highlighting Lyric Dimmig of Lapcat Creations. This lovely humanoid made the podcast art and the intro tune. If you like their work or would like to view other pieces they have for sale, including some very cute knit items, check out their website, lapcatcreations.square.site. That's L-A-P hyphen C-A-T hyphen C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S dot square dot site would you like your horror story to be featured on station 13 or maybe your own favorite local cryptid what about your newest music well head over to the station 13.com that's t-h-e-s-t-a-t-i-o-n 13.com we'll see you there well my furry feline co-host probably thinks i'm insane now but what does he know he's a cat Speaking of my little devilish furball, I think maybe we should discuss another fluffy creature that haunts Wisconsin's forests. Wolfmen have invaded the media in the last two decades, from the werewolves in Twilight to the titular teen wolf TV show, but those aren't the wolfmen we're discussing today. Today I wanted to do a deep dive on the beast of Bray Road and the wolfmen that haunt Wisconsin's forests and highways. But first... Let's hear from our newscaster, shall we? Hello, everyone. I am Garth Strongwater, here to report to you the goings-on of the goings-on. Shall we get on with it? 
A hole opened up in Whitewater, Wisconsin today, trapping the local ice cream shop. It is reported to be around 200 feet deep, as estimated by the rope length used to secure the civilians that went down with the ship, as they say. It's reported that the hole is now moving northbound, swallowing anything along its path parallel to Highway 12, so I'd avoid planning any trips to the upper state this weekend. Honestly, I'd love to call this the strangest thing coming out of Whitewater, but a badger named Professor Bites is currently running for mayor against the titular Mr. Whiskers, who is a rabbit. Anywho, that's all that's interesting to me today, other than the creature outside my window that is starting to get a little bit too angry that I've stopped staring back. Back to you, Void. Thank you, Garth. I actually heard that that hole is currently up by Jefferson Marsh Wildlife Area. And, ironically, Professor Bites is leading the election at the moment. I guess we'll find out in a couple of months when the results come in. But for now, here's some lovely information on our Wolfman of Wisconsin. The Beast of Bray Road was initially sighted in 1936 in Jefferson, Wisconsin by Mark Shuckleman on Highway 18 during the dead of night digging in a Native American mound. He claimed the beast was over six feet tall with a muzzled face and wolf and ape-like features, its hands being truly peculiar with a twisted thumb and only three fingers. Mark returned the following day with the help of sunlight to see if the creature was still there. Fortunately for him, he claims it was. He even claims it spoke to him, uttering the word Gadara, with the middle syllable emphasized. The next sighting came in 1964 by Dennis Fulis, who spotted a similar creature in Harvard, Illinois. He claims to have seen it run across the highway at full speed, estimating it to be between 400 and 500 pounds, with a height of 7 to 8 feet. Coming back during the day led to little evidence, however, only revealing the path the beast took by broken and bent cornstalks. He is, however, reported to have exclaimed, I was awful scared that night. That was no man. It was all hairy from head to feet. This sighting was shortly followed by one in 1972 by an unnamed woman in Wisconsin who claimed the same beast was trying to break into her home. When interviewed by the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, she gave a similar description to that of Mr. Shuckleman. She also claims the beast came back the following day and harmed one of her livestock, clawing it from shoulder to shoulder. The only other evidence left behind was a footprint measuring in at about 12 inches in length. These sightings would remain quiet, however, until October 31, 1991, when Doris Dean Gibson was driving on the titular Bray Road near Delavan, Wisconsin. As she was approaching an intersection, her right tire was jolted, as if she had rolled over something large. She proceeded to exit her vehicle to see what she had hit. As she did so, she noticed a large, hairy figure gaining towards her. Quickly, she got back into her vehicle and turned on the engine, attempting to drive away. However, the beast slept onto her trunk. Luckily, her car was slick from the rainy weather and the creature quickly slid off as she sped away. Later that same night, she found herself on the same road, trick-or-treating with another girl, and saw a large figure along the roadside. It seemed to have been stalking her. After Gibson's sighting, several more people came to light with their stories, previously kept under wraps due to fear of public opinion. Scott Bray, a local dairy farmer, claims to have seen the creature on Bray Road in September or October of 1989, claiming it looked larger and taller than a German Shepherd, with pointed ears, a fluffy tail, and gray and black fur. He attempted to follow the creature but lost sight of it, the only evidence left behind being large footprints. 
Russell Guest reported a sighting around the same time frame, claiming to have been in the area and being confronted by a similar creature. He says that he spotted the creature on its hind legs, and as it stumbled towards him, he took off running. After looking back, the creature had gotten back on all fours and was simply staring at him before it wandered off back into the brush. He stated a similar visual appearance to Scott Bray's, with gray and brown fur and estimated to be bigger than a German Shepherd, but only standing at five feet tall. In fall of 1989, Lori and a local bar manager in the area, was taking a drive down Barry Road when she spotted something hunched along the side. As she slowed to take a look through her window, she saw a creature similar to the other two men prior. However, she notes that its eyes glowed yellow without a light reflected in them, and that its arms were bent like that of a human's. She only saw this creature for a good 45 seconds, but still claims it resembled a crouched man, holding whatever roadkill it had found to feast upon with its palms up. However, she noted that she couldn't tell if this creature had a tail. This sighting was followed closely by that of, at the time, 11-year-old Heather Bowie, who claimed to have spotted the werewolf-like creature around Christmas of 1990 in a similar fashion to Miss Gibson. Ironically, this sighting came to light when both Gibson and Bowie were chatting on a bus. Oh, what a small world we live in. Pat Lester, the driver of that school bus, and ironically Lori and Dreezy's mother, would go on to tell Bowie's tale to Linda Godfrey, the woman who went on to publish the stories of The Beast of Bray Road. Bowie would later elaborate on the tale to Godfrey when questioned about the incident. She claims to have seen the creature around four in the afternoon while on her way home from sledding with friends. They were near Loveland Road, about a mile and a half southeast of the intersection where Gibson's sighting took place. Bowie and her friends saw what they assumed to be a large dog, and as little kids do, they called out, hoping to win its affection. However, after cooing at the creature, they noticed it stand up on its hind legs and take a few wobbly steps towards them, before falling back onto all fours and charging the children. She claims the creature was able to leap further than dogs run and proceeded to follow them halfway to her home about 250 yards from where it was spotted before veering away. The last sightings of the Beast of Bray Road were by Miss Doris Dean Gibson in 1991 and Mike Etten in 1990. While I've told the tale of Miss Gibson, Mr. Etten's is much shorter and shrouded by the alcohol of his choice. He claims to have seen a dog-like beast much larger than a domestic canine sitting like a raccoon, using its front paws to hold on to what it was eating along the roadside of the infamous Bay Road, the same intersection where Miss Gibson had her encounter. As Eden passed in his vehicle, he states that he noticed the creature's muzzle was shorter than that of the average canine, and that its back legs were thicker and more pronounced. He had initially decided the creature was a bear, a not-too-uncommon resident of Wisconsin, before hearing of the other sightings in the area. These sightings are the most notable, though the Wolfman of Wisconsin was said to be sighted in Racine, Walworth, and Jefferson counties. However, after 1991, there were no more notable sightings of this fluffy invader, vanishing into the other, the only thing left behind being the werewolf fad that swept Wisconsin. These stories seem far-fetched and imagined, but I'd like to think that at least one of them must hold some merit. Our world is full of mysteries, after all. I mean, quite frankly, I've heard of worse things appearing in friends' backyards. Now, while you all were busy listening to that, 
I did do some digging into whoever used to live in my apartment. Luckily, I didn't find anything else stashed around the house, and I haven't seen any blood on the mirrors or walls or writing that I can't decipher. I did try and reach out to the offices. You see, the problem is they claim this apartment is brand new, which doesn't explain why there's now a note in my vent, or was a note in my vent. Anyway, I tried to look at the obituaries, and I think I found out who lived here before I did. Uh, mainly because it says their cause of death was multiple claw marks, and that they died about five feet from my front door. And while normally I wouldn't dig too much into this, and I wouldn't be too worried as things seem to leave me alone, I think I might actually want to move, so I will be looking into that shortly. Anyway, next week I hope that I can bring you a longer episode, as this was just the pilot. We're looking to be back on air shortly, and we're even looking to take over the old Station 13 Broadcasting Center. It's been abandoned for two to three years. I mean, we were still using it when I worked there, but we moved shortly before I got fired and the incident occurred. Anyway, the door lock should still be the same code, and I think I have an inside man who left some things there for me. Or should I say inside woman in this case? Hopefully all the recording equipment is still there, and with the blast doors, I really assume that it hasn't been robbed or broken into by the unsightly beings in the woods behind it. I do kind of hope the soothsaying vines are still there. They were quite beautiful, even when they screamed your ear off. Anyway, this brings us to the end of tonight's rendezvous, though I do hope to reach out to you all again rather soon and maybe eventually even bring music to you. Unfortunately, that's also trapped in the old studio. Special thanks to Lyrica Dimmick of Lapcat Creations for the intro music and podcast cover art, and my dear friends for listening to this first pilot episode. Remember to take everything said with a grain of salt and a pinch over your shoulder. And before I go, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? This is DJ Void, signing out.